VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Zach, how was you know how you doing, man? You know, I am I'm hanging in there pretty good. Okay. Just uh okay. ready to face down another week. Okay. Got uh got actually a, a you know, got through a weekend of again, not to turn this into a fathering podcast, weekend of kids' birthday parties. Not my own, just others. Always always just a nightmare. I mean I love them in a way, but taking your kid to birthday parties is well, you'll see. <laughs> well, what have you been drinking then? Uh, so a couple of things the the highlight for me I have been as I mentioned last week kind of on this like West Coast Chardonnay kick had a bottle from Oregon since I had left it out of my previous conversation some okay. uh, Chardonnay from Brick House producer up on Ribbon Ridge in the Willamette Valley there 2018 Chardonnay uh, just a love lovely bottle of wine okay like nice texture crisp long kind of elegant finish and then I think the other thing that I have been drinking is despite uh, the relative paucity of good weather that would perhaps befit drinking this and you know based a little bit on our conversations I've been moving back into the tequila and rum world and one of my mm. favorite uh, drinks that I had sort of forgotten about in the winter because it's just not something I drink very often is I made myself a daiquiri which I know you love too I love daiquiri but my little daiquiri cheat one of my daiquiri cheats is to use just a small amount like about a half ounce of um, like Stiggins, which is like a pineapple rum, but it's not like the kind of pineapple rum that you think about where it's like, oh, intense artificial pineapple flavor. It's like actually made with pineapples in the distillation process. Mm. And yeah, Plantation makes a bottle that I really like. And like a daiquiri as a three ingredient cocktail is itself like delicious and I have no problem with that. But there's something about just adding that other note to it, which if done, you know, with some care, and I like to think I do that with care is just really beautiful and it brings just another dimension to the drink where even i think a really nice great daiquiri can sometimes be i don't want to say simple that's not quite right but it it can sometimes lack as much complexity as sometimes i want Mm. and so adding that little bit of stiggins pineapple ramen is just like a nice little it's a little accent mark on there nice how about you what you've been drinking not a lot man but the one thing that I uh, have been drinking is freezer martinis. So one of the sort of things I rediscovered through having had those tip tops that were sent to me yeah. was just how much I like having a super cold martini and how I can just have one and be fine. And so I was like, well, I'm going to make a batch up because I have the specs I like. Um, so I made a batch up and put them in the freezer. And it's been nice to be able to like, you know, at the end of the night, like as I'm cooking dinner or whatever, like after we've, you know, done our thing, just pour from the freezer because it's already pre-diluted like into my glass, garnish it really quickly. No other dishes to do besides the glass, right? No, uh, you know, mix mixing stuff, no spoons, no strainers, like just the glass, um, and it's been, it's been really nice. And then, uh, I also had a, uh, really nice bottle of, of Pinot Noir, but I forget the producer. It was one of I mean, oh, I've no. just got kind of like blank brain here. Um, but we had that like a few nights ago and then otherwise, again, just kind of have realized that if I drink too much right now, like if I have even more than like one glass of wine, I just kind of fall asleep and so <laughs> I I have not been doing that as much. Uh, so ha- so admittedly, I've not um, been doing much drinking, and I haven't been out to drink 
in quite a long time. So at least like well over a month. So that would be that would be nice to do sometime soon. So sorry, I'm not as I'm not as interesting as I usually am. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find your equilibrium soon, I'm sure. Uh, so the, what we wanted to talk about today is uh, a sort of a news item that, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, has been sort of dominating the cycles of both, uh, you know, mainstream as well as alcohol-based news. And I want to I want to use this peg as a way to discuss sort of the larger world of outreach in alcohol. And so for those of you who are unaware, Anheuser-Busch has been getting it from both sides due to a piece of a piece of outreach that they did to um, a woman who, who they sent a bunch of cans to um, with her face on it for, I think it was a milestone of her, was it her birthday or an amount of followers? I can't remember now. I think followers. It was followers. I'm not actually sure. And then basically a bunch of conservatives jumped on this. I'm sure Anheuser does Bush Bush has this a bunch. It's a special thing that they do. She posted it on Instagram. She has well over four million followers. And then the right took hold of this because this female um is trans and basically was like, We're gonna boycott uh, Bud Light and basically, you know, you had people like Kid Rock and all these other people shooting cans, like posting videos of themselves shooting the cans, saying they were going to, you know, not be on their tour riders anymore. Just a bunch of like really gross stuff. And first of all, I mean, my first question to all of this before we get into this is like with those people, like, how does this hurt you? I really don't get it. But the bigger, yeah. the bigger issue here, and what I wanted to talk about is the response by AB and Bev. And so. As I said, there was a lot of controversy around this. I, I actually think a lot of the controversy was uh, for some news, some news places to get to get more ratings, but whatever. Um, sure. But finally, Anheuser Busch released a statement. They also, I mean, anyone is an expert in crisis PR. This is not how you do PR. You don't wait this <laughs> long. I mean, this has been now a few weeks since yeah. the controversy started, where Miss Mulvaney was, you know gifted the to gifted the cans and you know basically it still took them forever to release something and you would think that when it takes you this long it's because you're you know going to make a really strong statement and instead AB and Bev both sides did and so i'm going to read the statement from their north american ceo as the ceo of a company founded in america's heartland Cheers to the right. More than 165 years ago, I'm responsible for ensuring every consumer feels proud of the beer we brew. We're honored to be, honored to be part of the fabric of this country. Anheuser-Busch employs more than 18,000 people, so they want you to know they create jobs. And our independent distributors employ an additional 47,000 valued colleagues. We have thousands of partners, millions of fans, and a proud history supporting our communities. So first of all, he also wants you to know in here that like we talk to everybody. But then he says the military first first responders, sports fans, and hardworking Americans anywhere. So everywhere. So for, so he's saying here, right, yeah, we, we, we're for everybody, but also, you know, so that everyone shuts up on the right, but we're going to name the, the hot button things that are important to you. First responders, the military, people who like sports because people on the left can't like sports, and hardworking Americans because I guess people on the left aren't hardworking Americans. Anyways, um, we never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people. This is the point I want to talk about after this. We are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. Okay, again, at this point in America, whatever. 
we're not we all can't just have a beer together anymore. They're, these are important issues that we need to have. We're literally banning drag brunches <laughs> in parts of the country. Like that, th- this part is just so tone deaf. Uh, my time serving this country. So he wants to remind you he was in the military. Taught me the importance of accountability and the values upon which America was founded. Freedom, hard work, and respect for one another. So again, I have a lot of respect for people who serve. And a lot of people who who serve are very much, you know, supportive of LGBTQ. People who serve can be on the right, can be on the left. Like, I I really, that also pisses me off that it becomes this, like, sort of signal that's sent to you on the right. Like, I served in the military, so I side with you. It's such bullshit. Anyways. As the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, I am focused on building and protecting our remarkable history and heritage. I care deeply about this country, this company, our brands, and our partners. I spend much of my time traveling across America, listening to and learning from our customers, distributors, and others. Moving forward, I will continue to work tirelessly to bring great beers to consumers across our nation. So he said nothing. And, you know, Dave Infante, uh, one of our writers at large and who are columnists for Hop Take every Thursday, basically said the same thing. Like, they're sort of both sidesing this and... It's actually an even worse look for the company. Again, like someone who specializes in crisis PR should have helped this a lot more. You know, I think what they should have done is basically said what they need to say, which is like, we are very happy that this person who's now getting hate online is a consumer of our beer because our beer is for everybody. And like, if you have a problem with that, don't drink us. Instead of like trying to think that people who have, who are doing nothing but preaching hate are are people who should also be considered. I mean, honestly, this reminded me of like that there were good people on both sides statement. Like the people who are preaching hate towards a a group that is, you know, constantly targeted are not good people. But I think the the bigger thing here is the line he he states in the statement, which I said I wanted to come back to, which is, we never intended to be a part of a discussion that divides people. So it has become very much part of marketing in this day and age to align brands with movements and to align brands with different groups of people and to try to raise the voices and profiles of groups that have been historically marginalized. And let's be clear. Often that is for financial gain, right? Bud Light very loudly and in in large amounts of dollars sponsors, you know, is a sponsor of pride. (laughs) Like, and they do that because they would like the LGBTQ demographic to be consumers of Bud Light. And let's be honest. I think that beer has a declining amount of sales in the same way that we've talked about for wine. Beer is losing market share, and beer needs a younger generation. And the younger generation is supportive of all groups of people and is much more aware of how people can be exploited and marginalized and take, you know, taken advantage of, left out of opportunities, etc. And they are not okay with it. And so when this, when the brand manager of Bud Light was told, also I think this is what's really important. So, the brand manager of Bud Light, I feel so badly for her. She's been all over the news. This outlet, you know, decided to go after her and broadcast her name and say that she's the reason that this partnership happened, etc. And. She's just a brand manager and she's doing what she was told. And what she was told was to, you know, create 
campaigns and do outreach that like expands the conversation and the community and the tent of Bud. Like that's what she was told to do. And that's what she's doing by just reaching out to a Bud Light fan. And I think this is this is something that, you know, is going to continue to happen. And what if a company is going to if a company wants to align their brands with the next generation and they therefore want to support these communities, then they have to be prepared for the fucking backlash because the the backlash isn't going to go away. And if they don't want to align themselves with these communities, then then just accept what's going to happen to your sales. I guess, you know, like, you know, if you if you're okay, look, there are some there are some marginally successful, you know, brands that speak to only a certain part of the country. And that's okay for those brands if that's what they want to be. I mean, I've seen all these, you know, have you seen these breweries now that are releasing their like freedom beers and stuff in reaction? Good for you. (laughs) Like, I'm sure you'll sell more than you normally do, but you'll never be at the size of Bud Light. Like, to be the largest light beer, and I think largest beer in America, the only way you can do that is by talking to all these groups. And what they've done here is basically show that the second they get called out by a group of people who are filled with hate, they will. They, they will not support the group they actually claim to be supporting. It's unbelievable yeah. to me. So anyways, that's the end of my tirade. But like I, I do think <laughs> what I'd like to talk about with you, Zach, is this sort of continued desire by larger by these large alcohol companies to to claim to support groups, but then really show who they really are when when the going gets tough. Well, so a couple of things here. One of them is that I think one of the challenges that Anheuser-Busch and other very large companies, whether they're drinks companies or not, face in a modern landscape is that more so than any other time in our lifetimes, and maybe in a, I don't I can't speak so much about what this was like previously, but where people no longer see your taste preferences in drink or in anything as being in some way divorced from your political identity. And so this notion that as you pointed out in in the in the statement that Bud Light or any brand can quote unquote bring people together when you're talking about bringing people together who are sort of um impo- have impossible to reconcile differences is just it's not just empty words it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the a modern american and maybe global political landscape where for a variety of reasons these cultural signifiers are now you know they become part of they become sort of central to people's identity in a lot of ways you know your political affiliation now and your belief system and all that seems to say not just a lot more about who you are as a person, but in a lot of ways, kind of what you would choose to consume. And so Bud Light and these kind of entrenched brands that may, in terms of demographics, cut across a larger range of these than some still are, as we're seeing, susceptible to, vulnerable to being dragged into this fight because I don't think anything is off limits, you know, by even acknowledging the, I guess, existence of a trans woman, Bud Light has now done something that at least a certain segment of far right blowhards deem worthy, uh, deem a subject that they can drum up 
you know, uh, interest and agitation and, you know, spotlight and probably money and things via you're living in a not no longer existent world. If you think that you can just be like, we want to be the beer for everyone. Like that, the, the way you do that, I guess, is by just trying to be as detached from politics as possible. But again, as I've been saying, politics is kind of everywhere all the time. Now, again, we're just, we're seeing it in so many different ways that, you know, you just kind of, I don't think you can, I don't think you can pretend to be apolitical as a company or a brand anymore, because if not the actions you take, then people are going to go look at your, who you and your, you know, board of directors and your executives, who do they donate money to? What are their politics? Like this stuff is out there. It's harder to sort of speak to that, to these communities and be like, Oh, we're an apolitical, we just make, we just want to make beer, man. Like that's all we're about. Like, it's just not, it's never been true, but I think that that level of sort of empty empty statement is just not being listened to by, by either side at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think whether, you know, whether you like it or not, what has happened over the past, you know, you could say six years, but really 10 years in this country has fully changed how we look at each other. And I mean, the fact that, you know, you have a, a governor of Florida going after Disney. I mean, it's, so much in this country has become political and you know there have been article after article after article published by us published by other publications you know that you know stop saying wine isn't political stop saying that spirits aren't political stop saying that beer isn't political like everything now and we've talked about this a bunch that you know people are going to vote with their dollars and support who they support and i think this is like sort of the classic lesson of old school marketing where like you think you can take advantage of a a person's reach and celebrity because to a certain group of people right like and I'm talking about generationally so especially a lot of Gen Z like Dylan Mulvaney is very famous she has over four million followers they listen to her you know she's documented her journey through her life of of her transition all that stuff she is and she's been very open about it and so she is very beloved and. The reason Bud Light sent her this beer wasn't just to be like, hey, congrats, yo. It was also to be like, please post this, which they knew she would, to tell, you know, so that her fans would drink Bud Light. Like, that's what they did. And and to think that they didn't think a little bit longer about what the reaction might be and be prepared to say, no, we did this intentionally and we support her and we support that we support anyone who you know, is about creating a a larger community for Bud Light, a more open, inclusive community for Bud Light, kind of is mind-boggling to me. And I think that that just shows you how so many just marketers, but especially in alcohol, still think we're in this old world where, like, you can slap your logo on a concert tour and not think that it has any, might have any ramifications. Like, oh, no, it's cool, man. Like, the people who's not artists... You know, no one else is aware of them besides people that listen to that artist. Not anymore, man. Like, if that artist is at all problematic, uh, you know, is misogynistic, is, uh, you know, anti any other groups of people, et cetera, like, you can't align with them anymore. Like, could you imagine if you're a brand and you decide in this day and age to support the the next Kanye West tour? Like, yeah. you can't do that anymore. You can't. Well, you certainly can't without, like, being ready to 
take on yeah. what that means. Like you, I'm sure he, if that happens, there will be sponsors, but they will be doing so presumably with eyes wide yeah, open. Yeah, and then you need to, when people come for you, to say, yeah, we're, we're cool with conspiracy theorists and anti-Semites, right? Like you would have to be able to say that. And sure. I think that might be your brand. That might be your brand. Totally. Totally. And I think that th- th- this is that classic lesson of like a large brand that did not learn that. And I think it's also a lesson to consumers like, you know, I know we've said this a bunch, but you need to do your research and figure out which brands actually that support causes that you care about truly support those causes and truly support, you know, gr- these groups, et cetera, and, and do so throughout their culture and who is clearly doing that in order to take advantage very quickly of someone's, you know, celebrity reach, et cetera, for that, that quick hit of sales, because, you know, those are the brands that we that need to be continued to be supported. And those other brands, you know, they workshopped it. They know it's a possibility, but like it's not going to work for them. And I think that's what you're going to see, too, is probably a change in a lot of marketing strategies moving forward, because th- this can't be we're not in the age anymore where there, you know, a bunch of marketers can sit in a boardroom and say this is our target demo for this quarter. If that hasn't been their target demo for the last four or five years. And that's also been a target demo that they've like actively gone against in, uh, in either how their company supported government policies, et cetera. Like people are going to now look into that and find that out. So like you have to bring all of that into your consideration set when you decide that you want to support a demo that you think will help increase your sales. Like that's just the truth now. It, it just is the truth. Yeah. Or you have to be willing to address head on that you have not been supportive of that group in the past. And that you apologize for it. And that is why you are making amends by supporting that group now. And yeah. I think a lot of companies aren't prepared to do that. And you can tell that by this, you know, this statement by the Budweiser North American CEO that like he was just trying to, hey man, kumbaya, just kumbaya, you know, kumbaya. No, man, it's not that way. Anymore. Yeah, and we are we are very much not at a kumbaya place in this country right now. I think the other thing I want to add to that is that in addition to sort of not just being able to sort of be like, oh, okay, yeah, here are our key demos to target for this quarter or this year or whatever, uh, that that may be ringing more hollow. It, it is to echo something that I said before, and I think is really important to mention here, which is just that there is so little you can do in marketing, in promotions, in perhaps, you know, sort of celebrity or, or at least influencer engagement that isn't sort of in one way or another going to be viewed through the lens that so much of what happens in this country is viewed through these days, which is through a political, cultural sort of lens. And again, I think I think not. it's not just about thinking you can advertise to a demo and target yeah. them that you've never talked to or that you've been dismissive of or just ignorant of in the past. It's also in a way that like any decision to do that is going to bring upon it a sort of reactionary blowback because as we point out, you know, unclear exactly how big a Bud Light boycott is, how much it might be affecting, you know, Anheuser-Busch's bottom line. I think probably not as much as, you know, would be, you would think given the sort of controversy, but regardless of the scope of it, it's certainly been a big pain in the ass for AB and Bev at a minimum. And outright, you know, damaging to individuals, as you pointed out, like the brand manager who've been subjected to a lot of hate and vitriol. Yep. And the piece of it that I think just has to be kept in mind is that 
there are a lot of people on the right and far right who are just looking are are looking for an excuse to you know who whatever it might be whether it's you know even you would think kind of virtually uh unimpeachable brands like Bud Light or Coca-Cola or Disney or whatever right like you're very kind of classic all-american brands mm-hmm. like the truth is is that the as i understand it the sort of zeitgeist in that movement is kind of like any example of acknowledging the existence of marginalized or persecuted groups of people is like you know like basically some sort of betrayal of whatever that other group is and there's no you you, not only can you not both sides it in an apology but you can't even really both sides it if you acknowledge the existence of say trans people like it is just there is no way to i don't think to do that that isn't going to draw this kind of vitriol because it is a an animating force in that political movement is looking at these actions by companies and things like that as a sort of betrayal and i mean I think any listener to this show knows where Adam and my political sensibilities and whatnot lie. So I'm not really interested in discussing it in the standpoint of who I think is right or well, I mean, I think you all know who we think are right and wrong, but again, just as a practical matter for, for brands and for companies and stuff like that, I just think it's like, it's not just that you can't appease afterwards. It's like, if you even choose to acknowledge the existence of the LGBTQ community in any way, or others, you might be in the scope for this group of people, and you better be prepared for what that means. I think what you what that means is that that's okay. Like if if this is if these are if yeah, these, it if might these be. are your values. It might be. I think actually just owning that these are your values. You know all the all the data points of what we've talked about, right? Like people accepting, you know, being more accepting in this country is is mu- is a much larger group, and. You just need to own it. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that's the case. And let, you know, let another brand have the deplorables. I mean, I, I really, I'm sorry, but it's just true. And and stop trying to both sides it. Because at some point, like, you know, it is what it is. Or just admit that you have the problem, right? Like, if you've become a brand that really has only spoken to a group of people that is very hateful of other groups then the only way to fix that is you're going to have to fully embrace, you know, openness, inclusivity, et cetera, and be okay with losing that group for a while. And I think that's the, that's the issue of, of why people, you know, why so many people sort of attacked this statement by um, AB and Bev is it was just like trying to still appeal to both groups. You know, as I was dissecting that statement, it's like trying to, to the buzzwords that speak, speak to both of them. And it's like, no man, you either needed to come out and say, what you should have, well, I mean, what I, well, obviously everyone knows what we think he, this person, you know, the CEO should have said, which is like, we support, you know, we support trans rights, trans rights are human rights. We support Dylan Mulvaney. We send her beers. Everyone calm the fuck down. She likes Bud Light. We like that she likes Bud Light. If you like her, we hope you like Bud Light. If you don't like her, kind of fuck off. Or they should have said, we made a fucking mistake. We're sorry. We will never embrace anyone in the LGBTQ plus community again. Right. Those were their two options. And like we we'd much rather have Kid Rock and his listeners as our as our drinkers. 
Like th- those were the two options at this time and place, and they didn't do either. And so it just comes off as what it is, which is that all of you know, it's it's just very very transparent to a consumer that all of this is just a fucking marketing tactic. And when when that yeah. happens, like the best marketing in the world is when you don't know you're being marketed to, and when you don't know that. Yes, while the brand does probably hopefully believe in these things, a lot of this is also they believe in these things also a lot of the times because you're the audience they're trying to reach. And, you know, but it feels genuine. Everything is workshops and data is always examined, et cetera. That's just come on. we uh, That's a capitalist society. But this was this was this just like such a stupid like, oh, no, we don't look at marketing at all. We don't know what, you know, we want everyone to love us. Like, it just doesn't exist, guys. It's never existed in marketing. It's never existed in marketing. I mean, if you look at other brands and groups that are loyal to those brands, group there are, the groups that are loyal to those brands are groups who for whom those brands have been loyal to them for lo- long parts of history. And we've written yeah, about that. You know, for sure. We've, li- we've written about that before and talked about it on the podcast. So, yeah, I don't know, just an unfortunate reminder that, uh, first of all, people are terrible and – also that people what they drink represents who they are politically and you need to understand that uh as a marketer and uh, i'd love to know what you think hit us up at podcast.vinepair.com uh and zach i'll talk to you next week sounds great thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast the flagship podcast of the vine pair podcast network if you love listening to this show or even if you don't but I really hope that you do as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So, the Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.